Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Sun. In today's episode, a breakthrough COVID vaccine, an organ transplant revolution, and a welcomed WhatsApp update. But first, it was on this day in 1989 that Voyager 2 began its flyby of the planet Neptune. This summer's been an absolute scorcher. Extreme heat has already been responsible for hundreds of deaths in Europe. The UK recorded its highest ever temperature of 40.2 degrees Celsius last month as climate scientists stressed the heatwave wasn't a one-off and high temperatures are likely to become more frequent. The experts are saying higher summer temperatures may even fuel an increase in cases of deadly skin cancers. I'm Professor Sarah Danson. I am a clinical academic at the University of Sheffield. I treat patients with melanoma, the most aggressive skin cancer. So Sarah, as a clinician, are you worried about what the increased frequency and, well, intensity of heat waves are going to mean for skin cancer? Yeah, so it's not about the heat per se. It's about whether people will be exposing themselves more to UV radiation which, as we know, is associated with most of the melanoma cases and other skin cancers as well. Whilst they may not be out there on the days when it's over 40 degrees C, if actually every day is a bit warmer and therefore people spend more of their days um, outside and with um, sun-seeking behaviour, then logically there's a risk that we may get more skin cancers as a result of that as really the climate becomes more tropical. According to data from Cancer Research UK, skin cancer death rates amongst men in the UK have more than tripled since the 70s, with increases also recorded among women. But what factors are at play here? Is it just hotter summers or could there be some behavioural changes too? We think a lot of it is to do with the um, the fact that people didn't used to go um, abroad for their holidays and now they, they do. Um, so the availability of, of package holidays and people go and often make the most of the sun when they're, when they're on these package holidays and often get um, sunburned. So, um, so it's about um, that behaviour um, change. And also um, that over those um, years, um, people uh, started to use sunbeds um, and sun lamps, uh, which of course now have many more rules um, associated with them and much more knowledge about them. But you know, for several decades, that was something a lot of people were doing. So there are, we think that there are skin cancers related to, to that as well. What are the signs we should be looking out for? I know about moles and stuff like that. Is it the same for all skin tones? We've all got moles and we all develop more moles over our, our lifetime. If you've got a pre-existing mole that starts to change, so if you notice that it's itching or bleeding or um, it's becoming more irregular, or, or it's got more what look like smaller moles associated with it. Those are the types of things and, and obviously a, a significant increase um, in size. So we say if you see that in a mole that you've already got, you should be um, getting that checked out. So going to your GP, um, asking them to have a look. Do you find that sometimes um, people have more delayed diagnoses if they, if they aren't in the typical group, the most likely group to develop melanoma? And so it may be that things aren't as obvious when there's a change. So, but again, it's about being aware of your own body. And if you're concerned, 
then I'd encourage you to get checked out rather than not. So how do we reduce the risk then? So it's things like, if possible, trying to avoid being out in the sun between the hottest hours, so that we typically talk about 11am to 3pm. Um, it's about going in the shade. If you have a choice, walk on the shady side um, of the road, that kind of thing. And it's about not being out there for hours at a time without your shirt on and about using um, sunscreen and reapplying sunscreen on a regular basis. Regardless of that, we know that many people uh, develop um, problems. So if you've got concerns about a new or changing mold, um, then certainly go to the GP. As the earlier that you pick these things up, the easier it is for us to treat them. It's been called the next generation of COVID jabs. The UK is leading the way once again by becoming the first country in the world to approve a COVID-19 vaccine that targets both the original and Omicron variants of the virus. It's taken a lot of work, both from the MHRA and also within Moderna. So we're very delighted that it's been approved and we look forward to the next steps of providing it for the British public. That was Darius Hughes, Moderna UK's general manager. They're calling it a bivalent vaccine. With its ability to target Omicron variants, it's a major step for the pharmaceutical fight, which until now had struggled to keep up with the rapidly evolving virus. It's a very busy virus. It's been mutating uh, since its inception. And what this vaccine helps to do is it gives us another uh, piece of armoury, really, another tool in the box so that we can go after it. The medicines regulator, the MHRA, has given it the go-ahead for over 18s following trials which showed better immune responses than current boosters and with no serious side effects. Moderna's expected to roll out the jab next month with the over 50s to be offered the booster first. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a mysterious fish die-off and a transplant breakthrough. It's an environmental catastrophe of unprecedented scale. This week, tons of dead fish have washed up in the river Uda, which runs from the Czech Republic to the border between Poland and Germany. They've been poisoned by a so far mystery pollutant which has contaminated the water. The most important thing is to find out what is the cause and also to remove as soon as possible the dead fish and other uh, organisms from the river because uh, fish uh, is um, been eaten by by birds, uh, by uh, other animals. That's Greenpeace Germany chemist Manfred Santon talking to Sky. This is a really a huge uh, task, a huge challenge. Volunteers have already collected more than 10 tonnes of dead fish. So far, mercury poisoning has been ruled out, but tests are continuing after unnaturally high levels of salt were detected. A mass die-off like this has to be flagged quickly, and Polish officials have been criticised for being too slow to tell their German neighbours as the contamination spread. Parts of the river are so toxic that people have been told not to fish or swim. Karina Dork is the district administrator of Uckermark, a region the river runs through, and she described the situation for the local fishermen as existential. Poland's offered a reward for catching anyone responsible for dumping chemical waste in the river, but extensive damage has already been done, and people fear the cleanup could take years. We'll just have to wait and see what effect this will have on the region's aquatic ecosystem and all of those who rely on it.
is a medical breakthrough. Researchers at the University of Cambridge have successfully altered the blood type of three donor kidneys in a game-changing discovery that could significantly improve the chances of patients waiting for a transplant finding a match. This development could increase the supply of kidneys available, particularly within minority ethnic groups who are less likely to find a match. A kidney from someone with blood type A can't be transplanted to someone with blood type B, nor the other way round. But changing the blood type to the universal O would allow more transplants to take place, as this can be used for people with any blood type. I'm Serena Macmillan, I'm a PhD student at the University of Cambridge and I work in the Department of Surgery with Dr Sarah Hosgood and Professor Mike Nicholson uh, on our research looking at blood group conversion in kidney transplantation. So you and your research colleagues have successfully altered the blood type of three donor kidneys. Can you talk us through why this is so needed for transplants? The percentage of people who can have certain blood groups differs between the individuals of the different blood groups. So. For context, if you're blood group O, you're considered the universal donor. So everybody could have a type O kidney. Um, if you're blood group A, you can have an A kidney or an O kidney, but you can't have a B and vice versa the other way around. But considering that there's a very small percentage of people who are blood group B, that causes problems when it comes to waiting lists. So if you're blood group O or B, you typically wait twice as long compared to blood group A individuals on the kidney waiting list. And it's purely due to the fact that there are fewer compatible organs available to you. And they're often associated with um, certain ethnic minorities as well. So those uh, individuals of blood group B, there's a higher proportion of people who are of uh, black and Asian minority, for example. So there's sort of an inequality in the distribution of donor organs between these different blood groups, even though it is just the genetic lottery. And so our work was looking at, can we remove the barrier completely so that just any organ goes to any recipient? It sounds like a massive breakthrough, especially for ethnic minorities. What's the science behind it? How on earth did you actually do it? So the blood group part of it are these markers on the surface of the cells. Um, and so what we did was use a nifty piece of technology mixed with some molecular biology to make this work. So our lab specialises in something called normothermic machine perfusion. Basically, you can take an organ and attach it to a machine where you pump blood through it but outside of the body. So the alternative would be just to leave that organ on ice, for example, before transplantation. In our case, we do body temperature, blood with oxygen, with nutrients, and just pumping through that organ and keeping it functioning even though it's outside the body. Um, and what we were able to do because of this setup is add in an enzyme which works like a pair of molecular scissors to snip off those markers that were on the cell. So when we put that enzyme into the blood we're pumping around the kidney, it cuts off the blood group B markers from the kidneys we perfuse um, and without those you don't have a blood group B kidney anymore. That's effectively blood group O, which as I said, is that universal donor. And in theory, that organ would be compatible with any other blood group. Is it the first time this technique's been tried? Did you expect it to work as well as this? There has been some work that was published earlier this year looking at converting blood group A lungs, um, but we're the first to try it in the kidney. Um, and the first to try it for blood group B in a human organ. So we had sort of a few indications that this might be feasible, but we just needed to test it uh, on a sort of more 
relevant to human scale on a whole organ just to see whether it was possible in the kidney. And considering the number of kidney transplants that happen a year, this is really quite important stuff. So what are the next steps? So as I said, we've been working on blood group B. That's the research we've done to date. We're currently working on looking at blood group A as well and converting those organs. So there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that we're able to remove any kind of uh, markers that we get on the kidneys because different people have different amounts of uh, expression of these. Um, and then just doing some trials to see whether we can kind of model what might happen if you put this into uh, recipients. So looking ahead, obviously we're quite far off any clinical uh, applications at the moment, but we can definitely make some next stages to try and model what may happen if this is going to be transplanted. So it's just working through the science and working through uh, the techniques to make sure that what we're doing is safe and consistent and reproducible. Still to come on the Sunday 7, ocean heatwaves and a COVID outbreak we've never seen before. Right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. This summer has seen record high temperatures around the world, but the damaging effects of heat don't stop at the water's edge. In parts of Europe, we've been experiencing what is called a marine heat wave. They occur when the ocean temperatures are higher than usual for at least five days, and the Mediterranean Sea has been experiencing one since May, with deadly consequences for delicate underwater ecosystems. Well, marine heat waves can uh, be driven by a number of different things. Uh, changes in the atmosphere, different weather systems, um, you can get a high-pressure system in the atmosphere that reduces winds and mixing in the ocean, for example. Um, so they do occur naturally um, and can happen for a number of different reasons. That's Michael Jackox, an oceanographer with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, speaking with PBS. Even if these things happen naturally, you now have them occurring on the backdrop of a warmer ocean. So if the ocean warms by one degree, then you know a three-degree heat wave is now four degrees. And you've got this compounding effect that really amplifies uh, the impacts of the heat waves. Warm ocean temperatures have been studied in different forms for many decades, but some prominent heating events in the past decade have motivated even more studies. So there's a wide range of impacts that Ben observes. Um, you can think of things like mortality and bleaching of corals, uh, changes in the availability of food for different species, which impacts their mortality, their survival, their reproduction. Um, these heat waves have been associated with blooms of toxic algae, which can poison animals um, and make seafood unfit for human consumption. And also they've caused uh, just distribution shifts where marine species 
there's these heat waves that come along and they look for favorable conditions elsewhere and they can be found thousands of kilometers away from where you normally expect them. And with these rising temperatures all over the world showing no sign of slowing down, experts say marine heat waves and their consequences, they're likely to continue. There's these long-term trends and on top of this we're going to have the natural variability. So we should certainly expect to see more of these impacts in the future. As a remote nation in the Pacific, the Marshall Islands have been almost completely spared from COVID-19, registering just a handful of cases throughout the pandemic. Located halfway between the Philippines and Hawaii, the islands closed their borders at the start of the pandemic to keep the virus out. But recently, in just over a week, more than 4,000 people have tested positive, including the country's Secretary of Health and Human Services, Jack Needentall. He spoke to BBC News about how the islands managed to keep the virus at bay for so long. We had very strict protocols, quarantine, strict monitoring quarantine for people coming in from the U.S. And when they get here, they were also under strict quarantine uh, uh, orders. So we managed to do it for over two years without a, a single community case of COVID-19. We did have a few border cases, but this BA5 Omicron variant is very, very contagious. It's almost on par with measles. So it swept very quickly through the community. I was like the 11th person on the very first day we discovered it. Uh, when I went home and did a self-test, I had it. So, and I've already recovered pretty much, but uh, what we've been doing to fight it, we were prepared for this. Uh, we spent the last two years preparing. We have uh, new COVID wards here, a lot of ventilators. We, we got all the vaccines. We got the ability to test. We got a lot of information. Now we have all the therapeutics like Paxlovid. So we've been handing out Paxlovid to all the vulnerable people and people who fit into a certain age range. We have six alternative care sites. We've kept COVID uh, relatively free from our hospital. We have a few cases in there who have come in. But overall, I think our response has been fabulous here in the Marshall Islands. We've had six deaths, um, but we've had almost, uh, uh, we're over 4,000 cases now. So six deaths and 4,000 cases is a, a pretty good, I think, and uh, very unfortunate, very sad for all of us because it's it is a small island community here. We have about uh, 25 to 30,000 people here in Majuro, where the big outbreak is now. And so we know all these people when they die. It's not like other places. So virtually every death is uh, very hard for us. Since the outbreak, two experts from the United States Centers for Disease Control have been sent to the islands to help manage the spread. And other international agencies are set to send support teams this week. Be honest, have you ever wanted to leave a WhatsApp group chat without anyone knowing? I mean, we all have, haven't we, really? Well, you'll soon be able to do just that. And WhatsApp aren't going to send annoying notifications to everyone telling them that you've done a runner. Woo-hoo! It's part of an update to the app which includes a few new privacy features that could come in handy. <gasps> Not only can you snake out of a chat guilt-free, you'll also soon be able to control who can see whether you're online. So that means no more avoiding WhatsApp as a whole when you're just trying to avoid that annoying single person. Who, me? And you'll soon be able to stop people from taking screenshots of once-for-you messages, if you catch my drift. If you like the sound of these new updates, you won't have to wait for long. The new features are being rolled out on the app throughout August.
This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.